All right, so um, let me introduce uh, our, our speaker to you. He'll come up here after the next song, but um, it's Dathan Brown. And so Dathan uh, and I have been friends for about 20-some years. Uh, we can't remember exactly, but we were both youth pastors together. I was down in Laguna Hills, and he was at Fullerton Navy Free, uh, overseeing all of their youth programs. And um, I got to know him and just his heart his heart to see uh, people discipled to know Jesus. And so he was doing that with students and uh, at that church. And then uh, about 11 years ago, 11, 12 years ago, the Lord called him out of that and into a ministry to be the executive director at Hume Lake. If you know anything about Hume Lake, it's a Christian camp uh, that has been around for uh, over 100 years probably. I don't know. Okay, 77. Uh, close. All of my life. Uh, and uh, I grew up there as a camper from like uh, as a fourth grader going to summer camp all the way through junior high through high school, summer camp, winter camp, all of that. Um, so is a, a, is a special place in my heart. But he was the executive director there and ran all of the ministries to see uh, more kids, um, students and families come to know Christ and be discipled uh, in, in the word. And so he has been uh, doing that ministry, uh, just stepped down from that and is back down here in Southern California. And so... I took the opportunity to say, Dathan, we'd love to have you come and speak at the retreat, and he agreed, and so it was a great blessing, and he's going to be sharing uh, one of his messages that he gave at the retreat. Now, just kind of to give you a little context where we're at, for the last uh, uh, couple months, we've been talking about the kingdom of God, right? Uh, kingdom come, and we've kind of been tracing it through scripture, and um, throughout the Old Testament, we saw God is king, and his kingdom was reigning, and then we saw Jesus who came and says, I'm bringing the kingdom. And then uh, when he left, he left the kingdom here for the church to, uh, to continue to build the kingdom of God. And that's why we pray that, right, in our prayers, right? Lord, your kingdom come. That's why we seek first the kingdom of God. And so we've been talking about that. But um, we'll get to next week, we'll finish it up with kind of that, that perfect kingdom when we get to Revelation, right? The end of Revelation. So we'll get there. But right now... We're look, continuing to look at how the kingdom of God is, is expanding in the world. And uh, Dathan is going to be talking about a little bit of God's heart going way back. So remember when the Apostle Paul told us, you are ambassadors of, of Christ. Go out into the world. Let them be reconciled to God. That is not the first time somebody preached that message. That was not the first time somebody says, you need to repent and be reconciled to God. It goes back to the Old Testament, and Dathan will be telling us a little bit about that, that from the book of Jonah. But a privilege to be here. We talked about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to us. And in session two, we also, uh, we talked about our appropriate response as ambassadors to Christ to love God and to love people and to make the most of every opportunity. But both of those talks were kind of talking from our perspective within the kingdom towards how we should operate and, and live, right? And um, today we're going to kind of flip it a little bit and we're going to ta take a look at the king himself and just a few of it. His characteristics is found in the book of Jonah. Uh, I am so glad to see some kids here today. We're going to talk about Jonah and the great fish. And uh, I look forward to hanging out with you today as well. Question for you. Have you ever said no to God? Have you ever resisted His leading in your life? I, I bet if we were just totally transparent, there, 
we could, a lot of us, uh, maybe all of us, we could look at times in our life where it's like, yeah, we know we should probably go this way, but this way looks to be a little too uncomfortable or maybe scary or whatever it might be. And so we, we want to do our thing because it's so easy to say like, yeah, I, I kind of got this, God. You know, I'll, I'll pray to you on the big stuff, but um, I, I've got this. I'm, I'm just going to go in this direction and, and it'll work out. And yet it never does, right, if we don't follow God. Today we're looking at the book of Jonah, and um, I want to give, um, give kind of an overview of the book. It's a relatively short book, four chapters. So we're going to kind of talk through the book of Jonah, and then we're going to make a few observations about some lessons that we can learn throughout the book of Jonah. Fair deal? Here we go. All right, Jonah, in chapter 1, God said, go and preach against the great city of Nineveh. Let me read it here, Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up against me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. God said, go to the great city of Nineveh. Why did Jonah turn on a dime and go the direct opposite way? You know, Nineveh was part of Assyria, and they were wicked. They had been just evil and intense and making life hard for the children of Israel. It was, it was crazy and difficult. And you know what? Jonah hated the people of Nineveh. And he was like, if God wants me to go, I'm not going. So instead of going northeast, Jonah gets on a boat in Joppa and he heads to Tarshish, which is west. He loads this boat and he's like, I'm out of here. God wants me to go this way? Uh Uh-uh. I'm going to go this way. And I'm going to run from God. And why would he do it? He's a prophet. Jonah was a prophet. And and a prophet, if I can get this open, a prophet, the role of a prophet in the life of God's people was to serve as a spokesman or mediator of God. Or for God. Prophets communicated God's will to the people, encouraging them in faithfulness and calling them to repentance when they turned away from God. And literally, God was giving Jonah like a sweet assignment. If you're a prophet and God tells you to go to one of the biggest, most powerful cities, and it's filled with evil and wicked people, you might go like, that's going to look good on my resume. I want to do that. And in fact, the way God said it at the beginning, it said the word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh. And he didn't say, at least so far, call that city to repentance that I might have compassion on them. It said, Go preach against it because the wickedness has come 
up before me. Go to Nineveh and preach against it. They're wicked. And Jonah goes, not a chance. I'm going the other way. But he got in the ship, or in the boat, in Joppa, and set out to sea, and, a, and God allowed a violent and intense storm. And it started to scare the captain and the people of the crew. You know, you're in trouble, right, on an airplane if the, if the um, flight attendants are really scared, right? And if the pilot is scared. Well, if you're on a boat and the captain and the crew are freaking out, and, and the Bible actually says that m- many of them called out to their own gods, right? It was probably an eclectic group of sailors, and they're praying to their little G gods, God, save us from this violent storm. They threw aboard all their, per- their provisions to lighten the ship, and the, um, and the captain went below deck and, they, and, and he found Jonah in a deep sleep. And um, he said, wake up, you need to pray to your God. And he came up to the front part of the boat and, and um, they began to cast lots to figure out why it was that they were in such an intense storm. And the lot... Well, Jonah, he pulled the, uh, the, the, the short straw. And uh, they were like, what do you do for a living? Where are you from? And, and what's going on? And Jonah, he shares in verse 9, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the seas and the dry lands. Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Chapter 1 says already that they knew that Jonah was running from the Lord. Because he had already told them before he went to sleep. Right? But he said, you know what? I am a Hebrew. I follow the Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth and this sea. And what you need to do is pick me up and throw me overboard. You know what, did the captain and crew do that right away? The answer is no, they didn't. They began to row even harder, but the storm became even more violent. And they could not make it back. And they were fearing that their ship was going to break up and that they would sink and all perish. And so finally they prayed out to to Jonah's Lord and said, please forgive us. Don't hold us accountable for tossing this man over. We're just doing what we need to do and and, and following instruction. And so they tossed him over. And the calm came upon the sea. And the boat that was being just tossed back and forth just settled in. And Jonah was gone but not dead. Jonah was swallowed by a great fish prepared by God. And that is a a pretty amazing thing. The men, the, the captain and the sailors, the Bible says, greatly feared the Lord. And they offered sacrifices to the Hebrew God and they made vows to Him. And Jonah was swallowed by a huge fish. 
And he was in the belly of the fish for three days <laughs> and three nights. 72 hour timeout. A provision, his own Uber, right? But he's in the belly of a great fish. Now, what would it be like to be in the belly of a great fish? Like, it would be crazy. First of all, I'd think, I think, I'm going to die here, right? And this fish is swimming and going deeper and up. And like, talk about a roller coaster ride. Like, the roller coaster ride would be nothing, I think, compared to this, right? Let's look at chapter two. Chapter two. Let's read in chapter two. And uh, we basically learn that Jonah begins to pray inside the belly of the whale. And it says this. Jonah's prayer, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me, from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to me cry, or you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths and into the heart of the seas, and the current swirled around me, and your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, and the deep surrounded me. Check this next phrase out. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. Like, talk about a crazy ride in the belly of a fish with the current swirling and the fish doing its thing and probably the acids and I, I don't know what he would be eating. Maybe the fish swallowed another fish and he had some sushi. Probably not. But what a crazy ride and seaweed and it's all this and he's probably thinking, I'm going to die. Or maybe he decides which he did to call out to God in prayer. As we continue in that, let's look at verse Number seven, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you and your holy temple. Verse eight, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, I will sacrifice to you, and what I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. With shouts of grateful praise, I will sacrifice to you, Lord. And what I have vowed, I will make good. I will go to Nineveh. And God has compassion and has this fish take him to shore. Not a hundred yards offshore. Like delivers him right to dry ground. Throws him up on the, like, oh my goodness. Talk about the reality of that, right? Probably, okay, let's just say uh, Jonah did not smell good at this point, right? Maybe his skin's starting to change different colors. He's probably all like wrinkly and, and uh, you know, the acids and all of this stuff. It was just amazing. And he heads east, northeast to the city of Nineveh. Then we go to chapter 3. God said for a second time, go to Nineveh, to Jonah. Chapter 3, it says, And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim 
to it the message I gave you. And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took about three days to go through it. You know, Nineveh had about 120,000 people, and, and that's about the size of Fullerton. But in ancient days like this, that was a massive city, right? There was no, like, New York or Tokyo, where there was no Beijing or, or London-sized cities back then. It was huge. It took three days to work your way through this city. It was powerful. It was huge. And Jonah headed in that direction and he proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. It's amazing what happened. And the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, what did he do? Was he too good to repent? Uh, no. He rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust, humbling himself. And this, this is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. But the decree of the king and his nobles do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn His anger, His fierce anger. From that we will not perish. So that we will not perish. You know... Um, it's an amazing story. The humble, the king was humble. He took off his robes. He put on um, sackcloth and ashes. The whole city was, was dressed like that. And they even put sackcloth and ashes on their animals. Right? They just wanted to make sure. Like, yeah, yeah, here you, here you go. Have some, have some ashes and sackcloth, you know, for the animals that were in that part of the city. They turned from their ways. You know, um, chapter 4, as the story wraps up, Jonah did what he said he was going to do, but he did it with a bad, horrible attitude. Jonah became angry at the compassion of God, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong that the that the city repented. To Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry, and he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew, this is key right here, I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger and, inbound, and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. See, God, in verse 1, told him to go to Nineveh to preach against it, but Jonah was not clueless. He was a prophet. He knew that he would be preaching, and he knew the nature and character of God. 
So Jonah does his thing. He heads outside the city, out east, kind of gets a vantage point and uh, creates him a little shelter and he's watching the city because he wanted to see if God was going to destroy that city or not. And I think based on the context, he was kind of hoping like, light it up. Make it go away. That's what I hope. It's not in the text, but it's implied, right? Because he was so angry. And, um, you know, then in chapter 4, God allows a plant to grow. A leafy plant to give him shade, right? And then very shortly thereafter, allowed a worm to come and to destroy that plant. And Jonah got furious. He got angry. He got upset. Jonah, in this portion of Scripture, um, (laughs) Jonah got angry and he requested to God, um, well, he said, now Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord's response, but the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be so angry? Oh, and in regards to the plant, you didn't grow the plant. The leafy, shade little deal. You didn't tend to it. You didn't do anything for that. And you're so angry about the plant that just died and withered. But you're not like caring at all about the people and the animals. Like... It's a mess. And then in this, the story ends, and I'll get to it in a minute. The story ends with God responding in a powerful way, almost like a mic drop moment. But hang on for a few minutes, and I'll wrap up with that. You know, um, the book of Jonah is amazing, it's relatively short. Let me make a few observations, uh, three of them to be exact. Um, Chapter 1, God says, go. Jonah says, no. And Jonah takes a little 72-hour time out in the belly of a great fish, and he gets spit up on shore, and God says, go again to that great city of Nineveh, and Jonah says, yes. He did what was right, but he did it with a lousy attitude because he hated, he despised the people of Nineveh. Have you in your life, or I'll ask myself, have I in my life, have we ever done the right thing, but we did it kind of kicking and screaming? I like, I'm gonna do this, but I, you know, I, yeah, I think probably most of us could say, yeah, I've done that on occasion. That's what Jonah did. He he went and he did what his task was, but he did it with a lousy attitude, and he missed the whole point. You know, um, I think it's interesting. In this chapter too, um, as well, it, it, it said, um, 
It said, Jonah, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you and your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of joy, or excuse me, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you that I, what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah went and he preached against Nineveh. But did it sound like Jonah did it with shouts of joy? Of your great praise? I will talk about God's salvation? I don't see that in the text. Jonah didn't make good on that part. He went through the motions, but he didn't have the right spirit in his heart. You know, the second observation in this book, and this hit me a week or so ago as I was in the library and just, you know, reading through this again, is is all of the characters in this book, you know, the, the captain and the sailors, Jonah himself, and the people of Nineveh, the 120,000. In every instance in the book of Jonah, God gave them compassion. He gave them mercy in every situation. What? The violent storm came, and um, God didn't just allow the, uh, the boat to collapse and everybody drowned. Even though the people on the boat were not followers of the one true God, he shared compassion by calming the storm. And what was the response of the sailors? (laughs) They will make vows to the Lord. They will sacrifice. They will pray out to Him. They responded in a good way, right? Nineveh, they were wicked. They were evil. It was intense. They were bad folks. But God, God used Jonah to speak truth to them. And you know what? God offered them compassion, mercy, grace, and love. You know what I don't see? Because God is not only compassionate, merciful, and gracious. God is holy, righteous. He didn't say to Jonah, yeah, you know, um, we don't want to trigger the people in Nineveh. And we, you know, because they they could get upset and they're very powerful. Like, we'll just kind of let it slide. No, no, no. God instructed them to call them to repentance. And you know what? They ended up repenting, humbling themselves, taking off the royal robes and putting on sackcloth and ashes and sitting in the dust. Neither of those two groups, the sailors or Nineveh, a people of Nineveh were were followers of the one true God. Yet their response, they made motions towards God and made vows and, and, and repented and and, and sacrificed and all of that. But who else did uh, God give compassion to in this story? Jonah himself, right? Jonah could have been just, well, when he was tossed overboard, he could have just drowned. 
But God gave him compassion by sending a great fish. And he gave him the ride of his life. And it was probably several fold reasoning behind that, right? But Jonah, in that belly of the fish, the great fish, prayed out to God. And he said he would do what he was told to do. And God had compassion to get him out of the belly of that fish, albeit probably a little bit, uh, oh no, not a little bit, a lot smelly and messed up with seaweed and all this craziness on the shore and gave him a second chance. Hey, Christian, isn't it neat to know that from this story, God gives us often a second chance? Have you ever needed that in your life? It's like, oh, man. And, and, and kind of, you know, guilt or, or regret or remorse hits in. And it's like, no. God, thank you. We have freedom in Christ. And, 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 and often we are given another opportunity to get up, to repent, to receive God's grace and mercy, Right? But what was Jonah's response? At least in my reading of this book, his response was different than the sailors. His response was different than the Ninevites. His response was to make himself a shelter and sit on the east side and watch the city to see what God was going to do. And when he didn't do, when God didn't do what he wanted him to do, he's like, it would be better for me to die. And see, God, this is what, this is, this is, oh, back before I got on the ship, this is why I didn't want to go, because I know that you are a compassionate and merciful God, willing to relent. Like, he is missing the point. And actually, a pretty sad story from the perspective of Jonah. But this is where the story is not sad. And I think this is the main thrust of this book is the mic drop moment from the holy, righteous, sovereign God who is a God of concern and compassion. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, Jonah said, and I am so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have, uh, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. Here it is. And should I not, be should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and, and also many animals? Jonah, should I not be concerned about this great city? Who I created the people in this city. I love them. I care for them. Should I not be concerned? And what's strongly implied is, should you not be concerned? I mean, you're my prophet. You're supposed to call people to repentance. And yet your anger and hatred is so strong that you are off track. And you were messing up. Should I not be concerned? That was God's question about this great city with 120,000 plus clueless people. 
Not to mention all of their animals. And God showed compassion. God showed mercy. God showed grace. God showed care. You know, I, I, um, we used to live in Fullerton. And uh, I don't remember the details of it. I think I was so like wrapped up in something at work and I was thinking about it that on my way home in our little neighborhood in Fullerton, kind of near Fullerton College, I think I blew through a stop sign. Like totally blew through a stop sign, right? And there was a policeman right there, which I was pretty deep in thought, right? And so I ended up getting a ticket. And so I had to go to traffic school, right? And I try not to like break the law and all that, right? Kids, that's important not to, but I, I, I was not even thinking and I just went right through it. And you know what? I ended up having to go to traffic school at the Fullerton Court with hundreds of other people. And I'll tell you, I have never met so many innocent people in my life. <laughs> people are like, you know, telling their story like, I didn't do this. this I shouldn't have to be here. And it was like, and as I sat there, I'm like, yeah, but I went through that stop sign, like for sure. Like it wasn't questionable or whatever. I'm, I'm guilty, right? Now, I wish the policeman had given me mercy and it's like, hey, this is a warning you know, or wouldn't it be cool to get grace, the opposite of what I deserved, instead of a ticket, hey, here's a gift card to go down to, that didn't happen. I got justice. And I had to pay, like, I don't know, whatever the ticket was, 100 bucks or something. And I had to sit through a traffic school class. You know what? All of us deserve justice. But God offers us grace. Amazing grace. Hey, let's do this together. I'm going to say amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like blank. I'm going to say my name. Why don't we all say our own names in that, all right? Okay, so um, here we go. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like Dathan. Huh. Grace is awesome. Getting exactly the opposite of what we deserve. We are in deep weeds and we deserve punishment and separation from God and yet he offered me eternal life and that makes me really wrestle with the people that are like, oh, when I think about them, right? It's like, well, hold on, Nathan. You've been forgiven of a whole lot yourself. You ought to be a little bit more gracious about people um, that maybe have wronged you or maybe people you don't even know that for some reason you're just you just have a hard time with, right? Or maybe they're just evil. You know what? God is a God of compassion. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace who cares about this world. Let me wrap up by, by pointing out the Great Commission. You know, um, for God, well, first, the most famous Bible verse in our Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Jonah was written a lot earlier than John 3.16. Right? Jonah was written before Jesus came to this earth. Yet the character and nature of God has been one of love care, compassion, wanting to see people turn from their sin and to be rightly related to Him. 
Then in the Great Commission, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. Ambassador Church, visible representatives of an invisible God in this world, we are to love one another. We are to love God, but we are to love and when I hear and, and see like the, the basketball league that you had outside here, like that gets me excited because I heard that a bunch of people from the community came to that. That is awesome. Be affirmed with that. God loves people that live around this church building so much that He sent His Son to die for them and He loves people around the other side of the world that we may not know. And He loves difficult people and nice people and He loves all of this world. Let me end with this final thought. God is an amazing God. And we have amazing opportunity to make a kingdom difference by letting people know about the love of God. It was Jim Elliott who was martyred as a missionary in Ecuador back decades ago. But before he died, he had made this statement about going down to a very risky situation. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So folks, as we are a part of God's kingdom, let's make sure that we're inviting others to join in.